Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into this week's Hawk Central Radio Hour right here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Des Moines Register columnist Chad Leistico, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes and will help lead the conversation until 7 o'clock tonight. A busy week on tap for Hawkeye Sports, Men's Basketball Media Day was on Monday. We delved into the promising topics for Fran McCaffrey's squad on our Tuesday YouTube show. So if you want to hear about men's hoops, check that out. Uh, Women's Basketball Media Day was earlier today in Iowa City, and I will be joined by Dargan Southerd in our final segment tonight to recap our time today with Caitlin Clark and the Hawkeye women. Very, very uh, interesting stuff today uh, in Iowa City. But first, we've got another crucial home football matchup to discuss for the Iowa Hawkeye. Guys, uh, coming off a comeback's 26 to 16 win against Michigan State, Iowa plays host to Purdue at 2:30 p.m. Saturday for homecoming. And to get you primed for the game, I'm pleased to be joined by Hawk Central teammate Tyler Tashman. Tyler, I know you love hoops, so and we already did hoops. But for those that didn't listen yesterday, you get 30 seconds to talk about Iowa men's hoops, any topic you want. I think just there, there's a lot of what Fran McCaffrey was saying, encouraging signs from the four freshmen, and I think a lot of Iowa's ceiling this season will be based on what these newcomers are going to do. There's a lot of new faces, six new scholarship players. Two of them are transfers, four freshmen. I think you kind of have the core of Tony Perkins, Patrick McCaffrey, uh, and Peyton Sanford that you hope you can rely on. Um, add Ben Cricky, who's one of the transfers into that. But um, a lot of question marks uh, surrounding that. I, I think uh, th- they can be good. They can surprise people. But it's going to kind of be determined on how everything kind of quickly comes together. Should be fun. A pretty lousy non-conference schedule for the most part, especially at home, but it'll ramp up pretty quick. So uh, maybe a good schedule for a young team anyway. But that was more than 30 seconds because I added on to it. So let's get to football. Uh, Hawkeye football. I got to give them credit for a resilient win on Saturday. Uh, That's kind of been my takeaway the last few days, like thinking about uh, that game. And if it had gone the other way, what on earth would we be talking about now? But they they salvaged the Cade McNamara injury. Uh, obviously, you know, he's out for the year with the torn ACL. Uh, we'll get into that as we go here. But it is rare when you bring a backup quarterback into the game in a tight game and even behind in the game for much of that um, the night. And they still come back to win. The only game I could think of was Spencer Petras coming off the bench in 2021 at Nebraska. But, that was, but he was like the starter and they kind of gave Padilla the start just because they were hot with him. And then he struggled in the first half, brought Petrus in. They they came back and scored the twenty two last 22 points in a 28-21 win. But other than that, you don't usually see it that often, Tyler. So I guess let's just kind of talk about the fact that this team is still 4-1, and one, uh, and they still have a lot to play for. And this season did not go off the rails the other day. Yeah, it did not. And I think that's probably – the biggest development you can pull from that I think but the Cade McNamara situation definitely rivals it those were the two biggest things to me that came out of the game is one 
Iowa did show in the face of adversities, they showed resolve. And especially coming out after that Penn State game, that was a big question coming in is how is this team going to respond? And then after, you know, a few minutes of playing, then they get hit with even another adversity with Cade McNamara going down. So the way that they responded, uh, the way Cooper to Gene played, which was really just a, you know, uh, adding to his legacy, I would say, with with the punt return that he had, and just kind of it was a chaotic game. There was just kind of so many different things that could have knocked Iowa out of the game or, or been fatal to Iowa coming out with a win. But you know, they still were able to come out with it. The other side of things is that now with Kata done for the season the way that Iowa played against the Michigan State team that they probably should have beaten a lot more easily is that it just feels like the rest of the season is going to be an uphill battle. You have Deacon Hill, who's going to make his first career start in college against Purdue on Saturday, who we we still don't really know what a Deacon Hill-led offense is going to look like. He has a big arm, so that could add maybe another element to help unlock the passing game. But uh, just the running game, the offensive line, the wide receiver play. There's been a lot of, I would say, concerns coming out of that Michigan State game to where Iowa just feels like they're going to have to kind of scrap their way, you know, the rest of the way out this season. Yeah, I actually rewatched the game again on Tuesday night, um, and I was I was a little bit more encouraged than I maybe was even on the first rewatch with Deacon Hill just because of the drops. I mean, you look at some of that clutch throw to Caleb Brown, if that gets caught, I mean, we're probably still talking about that, that how that would have moved the chains in a big moment. And, yeah, they were down. They were down in the fourth quarter and and came back to to win. And um, you got to give Iowa a lot of credit for that. And then, you, you know, tack on, in addition to the McNamara stuff, you lose Luke Lachey in the middle of that Western Michigan game. And that was a game that was dicey for a while. Um, So they've really, three of their four wins, they've really, you know, the Iowa State game got a little tense there, you know, at the end. So they've really kind of had to claw these things out. So being four and one and you're down to your third team running back, your line really isn't blocking like you thought. So um, it's all concerning, yes, but it's also, you know, they're at the four win mark. Um, it was a lot to play for this Saturday. And that leads us kind of into our main conversation here. Uh, we want to talk about kind of the <laughs> to go back to a Brian Ferentz quote, what is the what would be the upside? Uh, I was told about that that whole encounter. <laughs> or I don't know what you would call it. The back and forth. I was told about that. Oh the yeah. Other day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we get those in the he- three word headlines a lot. Yeah. Like, what's the upside? Uh, but let's talk about kind of the floor and the ceiling for this team now that we've seen what they're dealing with. So let's start with we. I like to start with the negative and then end with the positive. I don't know if I'm demented that way, but let's start with the worst case scenario what i have kind of my own thoughts on this what do you think the floor is for this iowa team it's four and one right now but there are concerns the red flags i think the floor is getting to a bowl game to me that you think that's the minimum or you think i think that's at worst case scenario they go to a bowl they've already at so they're gonna win at least two more yeah so which the the schedule is not difficult, so that's real. I mean, I, that's definitely feasible for even with all the circumstances that they're dealing with. the The line play is concerning because at this point in the season, I like I don't know how much better it can get. Like mm-hmm. I, there are things you can improve, but we're five games in. Uh, 
going to be six on Saturday. You're almost halfway through the season. I don't know how much drastic changes we can really see. I do think that having Deacon Hill, though, into the equation, if if he can – if he's good, I guess, to put it simply – That'll open stuff up for the offensive line because then you can't have defenses stacking boxes, and which makes it more difficult, obviously, for the offensive line. But uh, the way it is now, that's yeah. I think that's the to me that's the floor is making a bowl. Yeah, so I guess that's where I would probably land. I would six and six is probably like I'm not gonna say it could get worse, but I think realistic floor <laughs> is they sneak because Ferentz has shown he can win these games even yeah. ugly and time and time again they win ugly games so yeah I think an ugly six and six is probably the floor I mean you think about the line not is not good the receivers drop passes uh you don't know what the health is going to be like at the running back room the rest of the year now good news is Caleb Johnson may return this week. I saw did you see the practice footage this morning? The sights and sounds, he was out there. Oh so, no, I didn't Yeah. Caleb Johnson, who knows? That should help if he's back out there, even you know, eight to ten carries on Saturday. That's something. But uh, and the defense can't get a pass rush. I'm still I'm still not yeah, you you kinda sounded the alarm bells earlier than me. I wasn't concerned, but now I am concerned about that. Still no sacks against power five, so we'll see if that can can bust through on saturday against purdue we'll get to the five big questions segment and that matchup itself but load about the ceiling now uh the ceiling for this team uh i'll start with you again i mean how how high could this team in its current state go do you think i think getting to the big 10 championship i don't think winning it because we've already seen how they've kind of measured up against one of the beasts of the big 10 east penn state and that did not go well the the there was a pretty obvious gap between where Iowa is and where Penn State is. Uh, but I think, no, like like you said, I think, you know, Deacon Hill, he's unproven, but I think he has the tool. If you just look at it from like a tool standpoint of what he has versus Cade McNamara, I think he, he might, you know, possess more of kind of the arm strength, the mobility that Cade didn't have. Now, a big part of the equation is that Cade had experience. He went to a, he won a Big Ten championship. He went to a college football playoff semifinal. Deacon hadn't even attempted a pass before this season. So that is kind of the the main roadblock right now. But I think that Deacon Hill has the skill set that if it is unlocked and if he is able to develop quickly, that he'll, that he'll do just fine for Iowa and that Iowa can still make a Big Ten championship. I agree. I th- I'm, I'm with you. I guess this isn't really exciting radio. We're just agreeing. <laughs> We're just with agreeing with each other. <laughs> I was going to say something just similar. talking into a mirror. Is like... winning the Big Ten West. I think winning the Big Ten West would be ceiling, but that also could mean 11 and 1. I mean, so that, right. that's, not, uh, that's not bad. That's not a bad ceiling. Uh, here are kind of the four things I wrote down, kind of the formula to be to get to that ceiling. And you touched on one of them. Deacon Hill is great. And great in terms of expectations like he's really good like he's actually an upgrade over McNamara over these next seven games that would be step one step two running backs get healthy line sees kind of the type of run game we've seen in glimpses this year because they're gonna have to have the run game there's no question about that especially as the weather gets colder and there's no way you're gonna beat Wisconsin without a run game next week so the run game's gotta get going that's number two and I think the running backs getting healthy will help a little bit with that 
but because uh, you can't go the other way on running backs. Number three, the defense got its turnover binge going the other day, and that's got to continue. That's been a staple of the Phil Parker defense. Maybe it was just the first four games. We just didn't see it for whatever reason. I mean, there were more turnovers even out there the other day. There was one pass uh, kind of over to the right side of the line of scrimmage that the, t- the tight end for Michigan State, like, barely got his hand on but in the background you can see Xavier Wampa make a lunging diving he he had that ball lined up for an interception so if that if that Michigan State receiver doesn't get his fingertips on it, I think Wampa records a pick there so I think there there are turnovers to be had out there and Iowa's competition not great uh, in terms of offenses they're gonna face so that's three and then number four is special teams continues to be absolutely masterful Jay Higgins actually talked about that yesterday how they, as a defense, uh, they pride themselves, or as a program, on pinning other teams back and making them go 95 yards. And then when Iowa does that, the defense knows that the best way for its whole team to score is to give its offense a short field. And that's how we <laughs> – heck, we saw a minus five-yard drive the other day that, that resulted in a 53-yard Drew Stevens field goal. <laughs> uh, so that in, in essence, punting is winning in that case. So those are the four steps that I think, yeah, they can reach that ceiling. Uh, but right now I'd say the four best teams in the Big Ten, probably in the East, uh, counting Maryland in that group. And right now I would put Wisconsin on top of the West, just where Iowa is. So a long way to climb to get to that point. Tyler, um, I know you got uh, – I was at Iowa Women's Media Day, so I did not get to experience the Kelton Copeland uh, uh, Q&A today on Zoom. So I wanted, you know, wide receivers coach, kind of embattled position a little bit. Give me one or two things you learned from Coach Copeland in this wide receivers room. He said that on Sunday after the Michigan State game and – hard conversations was how he described a meeting with his position group and he said he's someone who prides himself on being honest but he he said basically he delivered honesty and I think it's an interesting dynamic because going into that game there was a lot of cries for getting and I think justifiable of getting the wide receivers more involved and Kirk Ferentz, that was that was he's kind of grilled grilled about it leading up to the Michigan State game because there just was not a lot of involvement from the wide receivers. Then during the game, well, things kind of go awry because Cade gets hurt, but Deacon Hill, it, it seemed like a concerted effort to get the wide receivers the ball. Uh, he he put it in their direction. Uh, except they didn't deliver. There was a handful of drops uh, in, in, in a tough situation that Deacon Hill walked into. The, the wide receivers didn't do a great job. So um, it kind of changed the narrative, I guess, a little bit of let's get the, the ball to the wide receivers to, well, they tried and it didn't work out very well. But uh, I don't think all is lost, I would say, in it was one, you know, it was a bad performance. I think Seth Anderson has still shown mm-hmm. really good flashes, uh, and, and we haven't really seen what Caleb Brown has done yet. But, uh, yeah, Kelton Copeland was basically saying, focusing on improvement, but also that in terms of them not getting targets or what may you be, that just the, the most important thing in the game is winning and as as long as Iowa wins that's the the main factor so uh it Iowa wide receivers kind of have to be a really selfless group just because of the yeah. nature of the way that Iowa's 
offense is set up to be kind of a power team that's just kind of the nature of the beast well uh, the run blocking is more concerning than the pass blocking for me so Mm -hmm. i I still think the receivers are gonna have to step up uh for this offense to hit a better ceiling uh as we talk about ceilings and floors here thank you for that information tyler coming up next five big questions about iowa and purdue on saturday plus like i promised more good talk on iowa women's basketball you're listening to hawk central here on 106.3 kxno this is hawk central on des moines sports station 106.3 kxno Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, as always. Pleased to be rejoined by Register Beat Writer, or Hawkeyes Beat Writer of the Register. <laughs> Not the Register Beat Writer. Tyler Tash. reporting on Chad Leistico <laughs> and his reporting. <laughs> Purdue. <laughs> Five big questions time. Purdue at Iowa. 2.33 p.m. kickoff Saturday. It's on Peacock, so uh, get your subscriptions. If you're interested in watching Hawkeye football, Five ninety nine a month. Uh, probably be more Peacock uh, games coming up. And the Iowa women's team is on Peacock a lot this year, so probably worth at least a four-month investment. I'm not selling subscriptions here, but uh, I'm going to have one uh, by Saturday. Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett on the call. Zora Stevenson is the sideline reporter. Tyler, the line is minus two and a half with the Hawkeyes favored. A very, very slim uh, favorite at this point. I think minus 130 on the money line is what I saw. Over-under is about 38 and a half, 39. So let's dig into our five big questions. And uh, I like this one a lot. I'm going to give myself a little credit. I thought this was a good one. Shared it with my parents. They thought it was a good one. So I'm going to run with it as number one. Which number three has the bigger impact on Saturday, Iowa's Cooper DeGene or Purdue's Tyrone Tracy, the ex-Hawkeye? I'll say Tyrone Tracy because he's going to likely have the ball in his hands much more than Cooper DeGene. Well, <laughs> Unless I, I he said, has 21 interceptions. Right. Yeah. Well, or, I mean, you were very uh, very adamant of the Cooper DeGene offensive package being put into <laughs> true, play. True. Which Kirk Ferentz didn't say no, but he also didn't seem like he was eager to put that into place. So yeah. um, I, I wouldn't expect that to be a major part of Iowa's offense. But, uh, it, no, I think it is interesting with Tyrone Tracy because uh, playing at Iowa – Uh, He had a really good game against Illinois, 21 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown. And the game before that against Wisconsin, uh, he had 84 yards on the ground. And uh, Kirk Ferentz. Right. uh, Running back now. Yeah. Which he wasn't here. Right. And Kirk Kirk Ferentz uh, praising him uh, during uh, the Tuesday kind of media availability. So just for the fact that he's going to have the ball in his hands more, I'm going to pick him. Well, Cooper certainly has a chance to make – uh, an impact because Purdue will throw the ball a lot, but uh, but yeah, Tyrone Tracy. Uh, interesting notes here about Tyrone, who is a sixth-year senior in his second year at Purdue after four at Iowa, has five straight games now. With he's gotten a, t- a TD rush in all five games for Purdue this year. And he's also their kick returner. So that's why he probably is the correct answer here. And I did a little research for you guys to kind of watch. His, his high in Kinnick Stadium as a Hawkeye was 88 total yards from scrimmage. So he had 77 yards receiving and 11 rushing in the big 2019 home win against Minnesota, which came into Kinnick 9-0. and That was a blackout game that Iowa pulled out 23-19. to uh, Minnesota outgained Iowa like almost 2-1 to one in that game, but the Hawkeyes won it. And uh, Tyrone Tracy did have a big role in that game. 
Uh, but I am curious to see Cooper DeGene. And I thought you were going to really throw me a funny curveball and say Caleb Brown was going oh, well, to be the most impactful number well, three. Well, Wouldn't that be an interesting that, story? Well, maybe that will end up with hap- what will be end up happening. But. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. That will be a fun storyline. Cooper, obviously, uh, you know, will be in coverage uh, constantly and have some chances at some INTs on, on Saturday with the way Jamari Harris is playing. So uh, number two on our big questions, how worried should Iowa be about Purdue's defense? Uh, Kirk Ferentz, when I listened to him yesterday, I really hadn't looked into the stats that much. He's like, well, they really stopped the run pretty good. And uh, I looked, and Purdue's not very good against the run at all. So uh, I don't know. You know, so you can't be careful what to believe. But uh, they do have 17 sacks this season. You know, And we talked about Iowa's lack of sacks. And we saw Iowa's, you know, what happens when Iowa's edges on the offensive line get attacked at Penn State. So I guess uh, how concerned are you about the Purdue defense coached by Ryan Walters who held Iowa to six points last year at Illinois. Yeah, that's a big point. And uh, this might kind of sound like coach speak, but I would almost be more worried about what Iowa's offense does than what Purdue's defense does, because it feels like uh, there needs to be a more of a focus on imposing themselves rather than, uh, you know, all the whatever blitzes or packages Purdue has in place. I think, trying to establish that run if Caleb Johnson plays uh, will be a big thing and trying to take some of that pressure off of Deacon Hill. Uh, But on the other hand, Iowa needs to take care of the ball. That's going to become even more important now uh, because we saw the the LeSean Williams fumble against Michigan State where uh, Iowa's offense just not does not have enough firepower right now to make up for those mistakes on a consistent basis. And that was a mistake so big that Michigan State scored their only touchdown of the game on. So I was offense just they can't shoot themselves in the foot mm-hmm. um, because they're not going to be able to make up for it. So that's what I kind of look at is especially with Deacon Hill and his ex- inexperience that that pick he threw. That's going to be something I'm looking at as a challenge for him of being able to control that arm strength and uh, you know make sure that he is accurate. Really good points there. I like I like what you said there. Uh, you know, Purdue's defense, some more stats for them. They are allowing four, 5.64 yards per play. Iowa allowing 4.29. So this is a defense, uh, while it has played a pretty tough schedule, uh, two power fives in the non-con plus Fresno State. So a very difficult non-conference schedule. Uh, but they are 114th nationally with 28 plays allowed of 20 plus yards so they do give up some big plays they are an attacking outfit under ryan walters who was the dc at illinois last year and you guess who's number one in the country in allowing 20 plus yards plays iowa hawkeyes only six only six this year allowed of of 20 plus so really good stat there for phil parker's defense and kind of shows the philosophy differential there you know phil doesn't attack doesn't give up big plays Purdue does attack, does give up big plays. So, to me, a big key to the game is can Iowa offense, like you said, trigger maybe three big plays, you know? And, and I mean, that could account for 100 and some yards of offense. Well, and I, I think Deacon's arm allows for that mm-hmm. better than Cade's does because— And maybe Caleb Johnson, too. Yeah, and, and because of the way—I think that opens up a maybe a— somewhat lost element of being able to throw the deep ball more and, and beat you in that kind of because if I was offensive sputtering and you need a spark why you know why not send mm-hmm. uh Seth Anderson or Nico Raggini or Deontay Vines and, and you know hope something good or 
pass pass interference at the worst right yeah seth anderson drew one the other day and could have had two uh question number three how much should we take from purdue's 44 to 19 win against brett bielema's illinois fighting illini on saturday uh, that was uh, like a pick type spread and purdue you know put a hurting on them that from the coverage i read out of that game tyler this was kind of purdue putting it all together in the second half basically like they've been really inconsistent all year but they outscore the illini 28 to 6 in that second half including 21 nothing in the third quarter so did everything kind of come together for Purdue and Ryan Walters and Graham Harrell's offense? Or is that a flash in the pan? We'll be, I'm really interested to see uh, you know, what kind of Purdue team shows up on Saturday. What do you think? Yeah, because it's interesting. Purdue uh, lost to Syracuse. They lost by 21 to Wisconsin. Right. That was a week before. Right. Yeah. And then I'm saying – and then the yeah. Illinois. So I'm saying that, yeah. you know, against – and they also beat Virginia Tech, so there's kind of a mix. It feels like this is a very hit-and-miss Purdue team. So like you were saying, I'm interested to see whether what they did against Illinois will be the standard moving forward, or was that just part of their kind of up-and-down trajectory of the season so far? Now, I'm interested to see because the 44 points, I feel like, is significant. Yeah. And Iowa's defense with the turnovers they had against Michigan State was obviously a big step in the right direction. I feel like Iowa's defense, though, I feel like it's still there's still some things that need to be worked out. I mean, Michigan State ran for over 150 yards uh, against mm-hmm. Iowa, and it, it feels like teams are figuring it out of, like, Phil Parker is going to basically give up the short stuff, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it feels like teams are kind of just taking it, and then they're not making mistakes – uh, where I would kind of get bailed out if they, you know, if if they got moved down the field a little bit against Michigan State, I would did what it needs to in getting out of those spots by creating the turnovers. But if Iowa doesn't, like they weren't through the first little bit of the season, then uh, that kind of bend don't break. It, mm-hmm. it it's it's more difficult to execute that because you're if you keep allowing those short incremental stuff and never find a way out of it, then the other team can go down and score. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaning towards my answer on this. I'm leaning towards that Purdue will not have a great game on Saturday. And I'm not trying to tease a prediction here, but I think Illinois was, is not as good as I thought. That was one of my best bets this year over six and a half wins. It's looking like a terrible pick. Uh, Illinois had nine penalties the other day, one for 13 on third down. Their defense is way worse. Maybe it's because they don't have Ryan Walters <laughs> or Devin Witherspoon, who was like amazing for the Seahawks the other night. Uh, and they allowed five sacks to the Boilermakers, which uh, in the game notes uh, said Purdue, that was the most for a Purdue team since 2018. So, you know, Purdue's not normally known for its pass rush, but uh, it just seemed like a really bad game for Illinois. And uh, this is a Purdue team that has laid the ball on the ground 11 times this year. Uh, So they are prone to some turnovers as well. They've only lost five of those fumbles, but opportunities are going to be there for the Hawkeyes. I'm going to say I think it was one second half, but uh, Purdue has given Iowa uh, many a problem before uh, under previous regimes. Uh, You're listening to Hawks Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Lysico talking Hawkeye football and five big questions with Tyler Tashman. That gets us into some more Hawkeye-centered questions, Tyler. Number four, Deacon Hill, first career start for the Hawkeyes. I know you're writing about him 
later this week, right? That's still on? Yep, that, okay. is, that is still on. <laughs> what should the game plan be for Mr. Hill in this game? Uh, set up the run with the pass or try to establish that run and open things up? What do you think they do with him? In my opinion, it would be starting with the run. I just think for a guy that is making his first start in college that – at least kind of takes a little bit of pressure off of him to start. Now we might see Purdue kind of run a similar defense where they're basically daring Deacon Hill to throw. And in that case, I think there's a pretty short leash on how how much emphasis you put on the run to start the game. I think it's also a different equation whether Caleb Johnson plays or not. Um, but I, I think you start with the run. And then after that, I think depending on how the game is going, I think you kind of let – Deacon Hill throw and let him cook. Yeah, let him cook, man. You're you're with the uh, the lingo, I guess. You you've been on uh, you've been on the internet. Yeah, I would let him, let Deacon cook. <laughs> I've been on the internet. Yeah, um, but no, I think definitely letting him loose and uh, um, seeing what I mean, seeing what he can show. I think you give him an opportunity to show what he can do, and uh, especially if Iowa gets a lead, I think you probably get more, maybe a little more conservative because. If Iowa gets down big, that I just that might be it because I, I just don't think like against Penn State. It's not gonna be a comeback yeah. team this year. Um, I mean, you got came back from six down against Michigan State, right? But, but yeah, um, no, I I think just see what he can do. This is almost a little kind of tryout because against Wisconsin, it's that's kind of the make or break of the season essentially, depending on what happens on Saturday. So I think you just see what he what he's got in the tank. Certainly, Joe Labus is in relief here. Uh, he's available. You know that's that's obviously a last resort at this point because you get a you get a week to give Deacon Hill the keys to the offense. Uh, I am cons- I'm very concerned as I wrote in DVR Monday about this run game. It's only averaging seventy yards a game on the ground. If you take away if you take away Western Michigan, I know you can't, but if you do. And then in those four games, 2.58 yards per carry. Now, they had a good day against Western Michigan, but that's not a good team. That's not a good defense. So uh, this is more of a, you know, typical defense that I would face. Not great, not good, or not not bad, not great. So I'm concerned about it, but I asked Kirk Ferentz about it Tuesday, and he was not. He seemed like, well, I thought we did a couple things in the fourth quarter. So I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's like – I mean, like, or we're talking like three, four yard runs that yeah. he's like touting as, <laughs> yeah. as progress. So the bar is very low for his son's offense. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see the run, but I just I don't think that is the, I don't think that's going to be the strength of this team. To be honest, I think it's it's Hill's arm right now, and it's a low strength. And just got to give these receivers more chances. Um, I'm a big fan of Seth Anderson's right now. I think he's probably your He's the one guy that didn't have a drop the other day, so I would go to him a little bit more. You know, let's give Vines another shot. He's good. He's a good player. Three drops the other day. Maybe he has a little bit of a redemption game. So I'm I'm kind of in the. I'll just take the uh, since we were agreeing with each other so much earlier in the show. I'll I'll be a uh, you know contrarian here and say let's let's see him coming out slinging and then run the ball once they back off a little bit with those loaded boxes. Uh, all right, number five, Tyler, and this is a kind of a fun little open ended one, so it gives you a chance to talk about anything you want. Really, what storyline do you think we might be talking about Saturday around six p.m. that we haven't even brought up yet? This has been brought up 
in the scope of the season, but not specifically uh, leading into this game, is I think Nick Jackson and uh, Jay Higgins. They, they've really turned into, I think, the tandem you would want to see or at least was envisioned with both both of them coming into this season and both of them hadn't had a big role at Iowa before this season. Nick Jackson, because he wasn't even at Iowa, and Jay Higgins, because he waited his turn. With with losing Seth Benson and Jack Campbell, that was two really big losses, basically kind of the heart and soul of Iowa's defense. And Nick Jackson, it feels like kind of incrementally he has gained, uh, he's gotten better week by week. Jay Higgins has basically just been really good from the start, and and you can tell all the work that he had put in leading up to the season, uh, in the in the past seasons of being part of the program really come to light. I think those two, and you might be able to say this for every game. Uh, I think those two will have a really big impact. I think if Iowa is able to create more turnovers, those guys might be involved in it as well. They were both kind of in on that last fumble uh, against Michigan State uh, that kind of basically sealed the game, which led to the Drew Stevens field goal to put Iowa up by 10. So those two guys, I just think, um, I think they've been playing great and I think they'll continue to do so. A couple things that I want to bring up. Uh, not going to list nine like I did that one time, whatever <laughs> five big questions that was. But uh, I'm going to talk about Tory Taylor and Drew Stevens. Uh, Taylor had an, another amazing game the other day. And Drew Stevens got a chance to talk to him yesterday. I'll, hopefully I write something in my preview about this. I haven't written it yet. But if I don't, here you go. He said he can kind of routinely, without really giving much extra effort, hit pretty consistently from 60 yards with his field goals. I mean, obviously taking weather out of it. Uh, and he said that, and that's not counting adrenaline. So he said that 53 yarder the other day, he didn't hit real well, but man, it sailed right through with plenty of distance. I think Drew Stevens is, had becomes a super duper important weapon on this team mm-hmm. <laughs> because if I'm Kirk Ferentz, anytime I get to even the 40 yard line, 38 yard line, I'm thinking I want to try a field goal with Drew Stevens because those are three points you might be able to get that other teams can't count on. And that could be a real a real avenue for this team to win. We saw this in 2019 when Keith Duncan hit 29 field goals that season. He was 29 of 34. They just were launching field goals all year. It's not like he had the distance, but he was like he was like money from 40 to 45 yards. He was just automatic. And so we didn't get to see that play out like a Penn State. You know, he didn't get a lot of opportunities uh, against Utah State. I think he, what he missed one against Western Michigan, maybe. But he's only missed one all year and had a great game the other day, four for four. Drew Stevens, I think, could be a continuing storyline for this team. And then the other one I'll just throw out there, we mentioned him briefly, is just Caleb Johnson. He had a huge game at Purdue last year, uh, 200 plus yards on the ground. I know it's a different Purdue team, but, may, you know, we talk so much about him early in the season, before the season, you know, could he be a thousand yard rusher for this team? It seems so obvious, you know, uh, got that power raid deal. He's done nothing mostly because he's been hurt, but you know, he's got to be itching for production. So maybe we're talking about, you know, Caleb Johnson kind of reviving this offense a little bit. Those are kind of positives. You know, we won't talk about if I will lose (laughs) at this point. And speaking of, uh, the outcomes of this game, it's we, since we have women's basketball coming up next, we're going to get to predictions right now, Tyler. So, uh, you know, it's one of the better g- games in the Big Ten this week. It is on Peacock. But uh, how do you see this thing playing out? Like I said, Iowa two-and-a-half-point favorite on Saturday. 
I think Iowa wins 20 to 13. It might not be the prettiest game. I think Deacon Hill does enough. I think he throws for a touchdown. I think we also see a touchdown uh, on the ground. Uh, and then two field goals from Drew Stevens, right? That would put him at 20? Okay, yeah. I'm making sure that I did my math right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'll it'll be a close game. Um, and, and I would just basically, like we said, I think any ways it can kind of get an advantage or – the field goal avenue, the Deacon Hill sneaking it. Uh, yeah, Deke sneak. Yeah, the the special teams. I think all of that becomes even more magnified because mm-hmm. of the state of Iowa's offense. That if Iowa's offense is going to be what it's going to be, then you're going to need the defense to be even better. You're going to need special teams to be even better. And I think the kind of unfortunate like part of all of this is that we're never going to see if Iowa's offense, the one that started the season, mm-hmm. would be able to grow it and come to fruition because uh, just the injuries and now things are kind of all out of whack. So we'll never know if that offense was kind of able to grow into something really special. We are on a very similar page. I've got Iowa winning and barely covering 20 to 17. Uh, this is a good Purdue offense. They're averaging 399.8 yards per game. Hudson Cards, one of the better quarterbacks Iowa's going to face the rest of the year. Graham Harrell's going to push the pace a little bit as the OC. So Iowa's uh, streak of 19 straight games, which is FBS best uh, of holding teams to under 400, will be put to the test this week, maybe more so than most other games this season but i do think the defense steps up and i've got i've got four drew stevens field goals a touchdown and a two-point conversion so uh uh, hawkeyes will put one td on the board but i think they do got to rely on drew stevens uh to potentially get him across the finish line uh we got about a minute left indiana fired its offensive coordinator i figured you'd want to talk about that you know they were they fired theirs before iowa fired theirs yeah you figured i would want to talk about it (laughs) no yeah it's uh things not going in the right direction right now for indiana i they're off this week, right? Yeah, they okay. they're not well so basically they're they're not going to lose this week, which is good. So, but no, yeah, they have they have things to get figured out. I don't know how much the the change in the middle of the season is going to make a big difference of what I what Indiana does yeah. for the rest of the season, but yeah, they they have some kind of soul searching to do. That was your Hoosiers minute brought to you by that Tyler was, Tashman. The big, the big game of the week of course would be 5 and 0 Maryland. At 5-0 Ohio State. Also, Saturday night, you got Michigan playing at Minnesota. So, some interesting games. And then there's uh, Nebraska at Illinois Friday night in the Big Ten West. So, we're into Big Ten action now. It's going to be exciting. Uh, all these games matter. You know, you hope, if you're a Hawkeye fan, you hope that Iowa gets the W this week and kind of sets up mm-hmm. next Saturday's 3 p.m. Fox game at Wisconsin as a potential Uh, title game in the Big Ten West, but we shall see. All right, we are done with football conversation for the night. Tyler, I'm going to let you go because we've got women's basketball talk coming up with uh, myself and Dargan Southern next. You're listening to Hawks Central here on 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico, Des Moines Register, taking you up to KXNO's Fantasy Camp show at 7 o'clock. Happy to now be joined by Iowa women's basketball beat writer, Dargan Souther. Dargan, uh, you and I uh, just concluded Iowa Women's Basketball Media Day uh, earlier today. 
uh, we were just talking. What was your top takeaway, I guess, from the day? What do you what do you kind of get the feel of from this team now, about a month out from the season opener, and less than two weeks from the crossover at Kinnick, which has forty seven thousand tickets sold? Yeah, obviously a lot of optimism today. You know, a lot of talk about last year and, and kind of turning the page on that front. Which you know, obviously, when, when you have a season like Iowa did last year, turning the page is maybe not as simple and, and is not as easy um, as other off seasons would be, but it feels like, you know, this team is, has kind of hit that reset button and, and appears ready to, to go into this year and kind of form its own identity. And, you know, inevitably there's going to be people out there who expect this team to pick up right where they left off in Dallas. And, you know, that's probably not realistic just from, you know, losing McKenna and, and Monica is obviously something that's going to have to be, uh, mitigated and, and addressed, but um, I, I think one thing that does carry over from last year that is productive for this team is you know they they know the the effort they know the the production and the the practice that it takes to get to that level and so um, you know I think it'll be how quickly can this team kind of establish its own identity and and be its own team um, will will really dictate you know how the the start of this season will go. Well, Bluter and Jensen and everyone else, uh, you know, get a lot of praise for how, you know, how they adapt and how good they are as coaches and they get the squeeze the most out of their team. And like, as we're standing here now, it's like, okay, they didn't add anybody really in the transfer portal. They didn't. Right. And then, you know, both their incoming recruits, I don't see as impact players. I mean, David Jones wasn't even here today. He's obviously not going to probably play as a Hawkeye. Um, so you're basically got the same group, except you're minus McKenna Warnock and Monica Sonano, two all-timers, uh, you know, in the Bluter era. So, yeah, to to expect the same right now from this year's team feels like a stretch, I would say. And um, but I don't doubt them either with Caitlin Clark uh, running the show. Uh, it sounds like Hannah Stolke can play the four or the five. I love the there was a lineup Sydney Affolter was telling me about where they go Clark Marshall. Martin, Affolter, and Stolke, and that's like you know the Golden State Warriors, right. you know, lineup. And down the court. Yeah, and uh, that sounds pretty dang exciting. Moving up and out now, I don't know if they could defend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, it, this team is going to be entertaining for sure, and every game is sold out. But I'm just, I'm just kind of anxious or eager, I should say, to see how how they mold this team because they didn't add those you know the the Sonano piece or is that person Adio Grady is she just you know she talked about wanting to be you know she wants to be the next Monica even though Bluter told us not to compare the two <laughs> Addie said uh, you know I'm trying to be the next Monica so I don't know how do you see that uh, I guess chess chessboard for this team and how they how they get to where they want to go yeah obviously you know they're they're banking on a lot of internal growth yeah that's yeah. You know, all of the above with Addison O'Grady and Hannah Stolke and Sydney Affolter kind of seem like the the main trio there that are, are in position for a bigger role. And um, it'll be interesting to see how you know Kate Martin's leadership has always been something that's been praised and been a big key. But I feel like this year it's going to be even larger and um, you know expanding further out. You know, Gabby Marshall talked about how she's you know found her leadership voice a little stronger, and even Caitlin said that too that. You know, she's having to do more, um, you know, leading and kind of bringing along than maybe she did last year or, or the year before when it was the same returning five. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of promise from players who were kind of on that next tier 
that second tier from last year. Molly Davis is another one that. Yeah, I was just going to bring Davis up. I've heard I heard her name a lot today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they there was a lot of talk about how you know her confidence has improved, her ability to. Uh, yeah, there's some dogs in the background here uh, <laughs> as the Iowa women's wrestling prepares for its media day. So if you hear some sporadic barking, that's what that is. It's not chatter eye. Um, but <laughs> but yeah. So you know again, I I think it. It would have been understandable if they had brought somebody in, um, and I, I guess it's you know a little yeah, bit understandable to be a little disappointed. I guess if you're an Iowa fan that yeah. they didn't, but again, there's there's still a lot of players on this roster within this program that they feel like can be that jump and, and be you know kind of that representation of a new piece if if they make you know a much larger jump than what they did last year. There's certainly no shortage of guards. Um, Kylie Fuerbach, 100. percent Talked to her for a bit. No knee brace. Heard she's doing really well in practice. Bluter said had a great practice yesterday. They just there's so many guards right now. It's almost like I feel like they've got to play small. I mean, you got so Clark obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Marshall, Taylor McCabe. I don't think we've mentioned her yeah. yet. Sounds like she's another one, another sharpshooter could that's be ready that, to roll. Could take another uh, a step from within. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she's outscores Gabby Marshall to be honest I mean sounds like she just guns it yeah <laughs> and, and Gabby's not one that's going to hunt shots either right so. exactly Fierbach Davis I mean Affolter's kind of a guard she said she's playing like 3-4 Martin 3-4 so they're going to be a smaller team and but it's fun it's a fun group yeah, and I, I think playing small is probably how this team is going to be most successful. Just because has to be just because of of where the the lopsidedness is on the positions, and, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, you know, Bluter said right now that that Addison O'Grady would be that fifth starter if if uh, they started today. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, is there some lineup tinkering in the early going as those guards, you know, try to find their role and, and find a, a spot in the in the game for all of them. So, um, and, and again, you know, you look at last year, it wasn't a team that started, you know, by their standards, super hot in the in That's the uh, non conference. You know, lost to Kansas State, lost to NC State at home. So, you know, if this team does hit some some speed bumps in the uh, in the non conference. You know, it's it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, and Caitlin talked about that too. How she's improved with taking things in stride and taking you know one game at a time, and and how you know the the concept of a long season has has resonated more with her and everyone. So um, you really hope that veteran presence uh, shines through because um, inevitably there there is going to be an adjustment period in the early going. Yeah, I think Bluter said they play eleven ranked teams currently on the schedule. Yep. Uh, the schedule is very daunting. Very daunting, yes. Very daunting, and they're going to have so much attention. That was a huge talking point in the hour press conference between Bluter and Clark. I guess that's where let's finish up here. Um, I did want to mention Hannah Stolke says she's hitting 14 or 15 out of 16 in practice every day from the line. She, her goal is 70 75%. Said Tania Davis has really helped her with that. Yeah. So look for better free throw shooting from Hannah Stolke and maybe some three-point shooting. But let's get to the just the celebrity of this team and how they're just going to deal with it all. It, it all, I almost feel like it's been six months almost since the Final Four, right? So, And Caitlin Clark's up there like, it feels like it was just yesterday that we were at the Final Four. Like, mm-hmm. And they had the foreign trip. I just wonder, they're going to have to run this like a marathon, I feel like. Yeah. I just It's going to be really interesting to see if they can keep their emotions going all the way through March and all the way through April. And that's going to be another key uh, component of, of this team establishing its own identity is 
you know, there's going to be a lot of reminders of last season as this team goes through the the year. You know, there's going to obviously the the crowds at home, the crowds on the road are going to be crazy. Caitlin's going to have her own spotlight, you know, the whole year. And you know, if this team you know, does hit a skid or, or, or stumbles a couple of times, you know, what's the, you know, how intense is the scrutiny, you know, on social media and all that? Obviously, that's a big element here. Um, you know, the program has, has largely been riding on positive vibes and rightfully so for so long. Um, you know, when you get kind of take that next step in, in prestige, you know, the, the scrutiny comes with it. And so that will be an element to, to you know, this team will have to handle as well. So um, you, you hope if you if you're an Iowa fan that last year's run really you know set the table in terms of how to handle pressure and how to handle the spotlight but um, no doubt it's going to be at a, an even higher level this year that's going to be fun uh, crossover at Kinnick next Sunday uh, thank you Dargan for your time we're going to uh, let you go now but we will see you on Sunday Saturday at Kinnick Stadium yep. with myself and Tyler Tashman. Sounds good. All right, folks, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, join us for our post-game YouTube pod, which Dargan will help produce around uh, 8-ish or so on Saturday night. But coming up coming up next here on KXNO, it's Fantasy Camp with Nathan Fisher and Tyler Allen. We will talk to you next Wednesday night from 6 to 7 o'clock here on Hawk Central. This is Chad Lysico saying so long, 106.3 KXNO.